my guest today made 106 appearances for Everton between 82 and 88, winning a host of honours in that time. His playing career also included Aston Villa, Wolves, Carlisle, Northampton, Walsall and Scarborough. And still, whenever I look at his goal-scoring records, I can't help but be impressed. Um, Derek Manfield, how's things? Not bad, Matt. You missed out on one of the most important teams in the Champions Rovers. You gave him oh, a chance. I'm, yeah, I'm very sorry. I'm very sorry. Not leading Champions, aren't they? They're the ones that saw me and gave me the opportunity. But apart from that, no, I'm great. It's uh, I'm currently in quarantine. Had eight weeks in Spain, so I've, I've got three and a half days left. So fingers crossed, I'll be out on the golf course next week and out on my bike by Saturday morning. Great, great. You'd like to think so, and. Just to, to kickstart things um, for Grand Old Team uh, and their listeners and their audience, I just wanted to get your reaction to the weekend's result. I mean, finally, Everton back to, to winning ways after a three-game skid, beating Fulham 3-2 away. Um, great first half, you know, scoring, scoring the three goals. The second half, not so much. Uh, what, what was your take on it? Uh, it's one of them situations. I think football is in a, in, a, in a very strange place at the moment. I, I find it difficult to watch the games without the atmosphere of the crowd in there. And you flip from channel to channel, one without sound, one with sound. It's still not the same. And I think some of the players have suffered because of it. I think the players sometimes need the crowd either on the back or behind them. So football is in a very strange place. At the moment. But as for the game... You know, after the great start when they they put us on a on a massive high, we were top four games, twelve points. We're all thinking, here we go, we've done it. And then we lose games where we go on our away our away travels. We we get away sick, and you know the away sickness. And I don't know what happens when we go away, but there, there, there seems to be a mentality shift when we go away. Whether the players don't like the the way they travel or the accommodation or the pre- I don't know, but it's happened to us for too 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 long now. We need to sort the away form out and the whether it's we, we change our routines. But saying that, that we kicked off in, and I looked at it and thinking, look okay, and then got a good early goal. A bit lucky with the first goal with a little deflection into Dominic, but he, he's in the right place at the right time. And and then I'm thinking, yeah, we go. And then we just took our foot off a little bit and then we got back in the lead again and made it 3-1 and we looked comfortable. We, we had the four, the wing-backs pushing on, we, had, we looked solid and midfield winning tackles and I think you've got to give a bit of credit to Fulham because I think half-time there was a, a bit of a maybe, maybe a telling off of you should call our day a bollocking or a rollicking because second half they came out with a different shape and a different formation and different way of playing and they really pushed the wing, their, their wingers on a bit more you know, I think that pushed us back a little bit. But we've got to be better than what we are to, to, to counter that. And, you know, I, I always look at the sidelines when the, they, they pan on to the managers and you wonder what they're doing and, and what they're preparing, how they're telling players. But I just think we lost our way second half. But you do have to give credit to, to Fulham because they, they definitely pushed us on, pushed us back a little bit. But when we got the ball, I think our, our, our decision maker with the final pass was 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 at times was shocking. A couple of times I look on the ball in the right hand side of the, the back four and I'm looking for the ball over the left full back for Dominic to run onto. And they're trying to play it to his chest. Sometimes you've got to turn the opposition to get them going back towards their goal. 
then you can push yourself up and then and regroup again. But we gave the ball away too cheaply and then we didn't get it back quickly enough. And in the end, I think 3-2, we, we, were, we were hanging on at times. But at other times in the game, I'm thinking, this is this is great. This is comfortable. We look composed. But all of a sudden, one thing happens. And we, when we're under pressure, we, we look like we're really under pressure. And looks like players don't know how to, to handle it. And I, I just wish, I, I say it all the time to people, I wish someone would do a Peter Reid and, and just grab them by the shirt and go, you better be better than this. Because there's no leaders. Football and foot is, is lacking leaders now. It, it's, it's epidemic throughout the game because... The leaders tended to be either lead by passion, desire, shout and scream, and lead by the way they played, and really led by the way he played. He got tackles, he got stuck in, you know. And, and I think you're losing those sort of things. But I think sometimes we just need someone to sort of say, "Come on, boys, we are better than this. Let's get back to what we're doing and keep the ball a bit easier." But it's it, it doesn't happen that way. But at three twos of it, we're back on the front foot again. We're, we're back in the top six, which is a a long way to go with the season yet, but we have to be better. If football is a 90-minute game, not a 45 or a 30-minute game, and at the moment, since we we lost that first game, we haven't produced a 90 minutes of football yet. We're, we're very sporadic for me. Mm, definitely, and you know the, the sort of the binary of both halves. It just seems like Everton in a nutshell, really. Um, you touched on the sort of essence of leaders in in today's game and. For me, obviously, you know, it, it was Richarlison's first game back from suspension and his impact was evident from the off. You know, he was really influential in enforcing that goal 42 seconds in for Dominic. Um, and, you know, we're at, we're at a real strange crossroads when it comes to looking for a captain at the moment. Obviously, we've got Seamus there, Seamus who's out at the present moment as well. Um in that run of, you know, three defeats, we went without the likes of Dina and Rodriguez, who were considered those that lead by example uh, and are better players. We obviously rely heavily on Dominic for his goals. Um, where do you rank Richarlison's importance in this side? I think after the sending off, I think he's the one player who really did miss. I think with I think Dominic looks a better player now because he's he's having someone further up with him and closer to him. I always said Dominic wouldn't. I said he wouldn't score enough goals because a he didn't get the service and b he didn't get the support. He was always winning the header then chasing the loose ball down, which happened in the three games when Charleston wasn't there. But when he's closer to Dominic, I, I see a better player in Dominic, and and I think they've got a bit of an understanding. And I think he was crucial. He is crucial to where we go from here. Ancelotti is saying he can win the Ballon d'Or, etc., etc. That's a long way in the future. We, we just wanted to perform week in, week out in the in the Royal Blue Shirt, and I think he was crucial to being missed. He he gives something to Dominic, and yeah, he look Dominic looks more composed when Richarlison are alongside him, and I think he is crucial. He's just got to stop his Dominic. I mean, Richarlison is his little. I don't want to call it petulance, but he goes down to he's looking for final free kicks and penalties and he stamped his up and then he makes stupid challenges and, and that against the Liverpool paid the penalty when we lost him for three games and he was crucial but maybe going away with the with the, the World Cup qualifiers and that and going back to Brazil he's come back with a, a bit more of a fresh impetus but for me on Sunday my biggest point was was, was James Rodriguez he, he never got in the game he put a great pass in for the ball for Dean's cross but apart from that he didn't really stamp anything onto the game and but you can afford to carry him. 
but you can't afford to carry both him and Richarlison when they have a bad game. So at least Richarlison was on his game. But I think I think Richarlison is, is crucial to where we need to go in the future. And I think he's shown over the last 18 months, two years, what a good player he is and what an even better player he can be if he, if he does the right things. He might end up leaving Everton. We might make a lot of money on him. But he, at the moment, he is very important to the way we are trying to play football. Most definitely, it, it, it is one of those things. Like I, I do feel like if we don't achieve anything anytime soon, he will be fully justified in leaving. I mean, he certainly does come across as one of those players that you know can go on and, and achieve some great things in his career. We look at that. It, it's does he do, at the moment? Does he want to leave Everton? Does he want to stay under Ancelotti and, and develop under under him? I don't know. You, you don't know what's in the background. You, you the big. Think Steve Bruce this week's like an agent's off. You know, you, you don't know what his agent's saying to him. And his agent knows that he's probably pushed his transfer bill to 80, 90 million pounds in the current climate minimum, the way the money's sped around. And you don't know what his agent's chirping down the ear over and saying, I can get you to Barcelona, I can get to Real Madrid. It's going to be worth X amount to you. You know, I think sometimes agents put play put players off a little bit, but at the moment, with Charlton's one focus seems to be playing for Everton, and he looks like he enjoys it as well. That's the important. He looks like he's enjoyed himself when he plays, although he does look a bit dull and boring at times with his, with his facial expressions. I think he enjoys playing for Everton at the moment, and, and that's partly down to Ancelotti, I think, as well. I think he's he's developing this group of players now, and we, we're, we're this is the first time I've said this. We've looked at Richard, we've looked at Truman and Silver, but I think this is a project now that Ansotti thinks he can take on and take to a, to a higher level. So, fingers crossed, Richarlison will be part of it. But, as I said before, I never know what agents do in the background, and that worries me, really worries me. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I'd also agree in that he seemed like a, a real role model, I feel, for, like, say, the younger supporters. Like, he resonates greatly with sort of younger oh, fan base and that, you know. I think it's when he throws his shirt. That's when he throws his shirt in the crowd every game. He's giving something back to the fans, but and, and that's where his way of connecting with the with the fans. I think, and it, it's a great way to do it. it might cost him fifty pound a week for a new shirt every time he does it. Jimmy Martin probably tearing his hair out, but uh-huh. you know he's trying to connect with the fans and get that relationship. And he's got it because you know I haven't seen a, a group of fans link onto a player like. For as long time as they have done with the Charleston over, over the last 18 months, he really is a fan's favourite at the moment. Yeah, I would say so. Um, one of the things that I did want to touch on you with is that you know you sort of elucidated the third that like there, there was a change in formation for this one. Carlo adopted the back three um, with Dina uh, and Alex Abobi as the wing backs. Um, I felt like it came to the benefit of Ben Godfrey. Obviously, he wasn't out there as, as a right back, sort of out of position. He felt he looked a bit more comfortable. But Yerry Mina again seemed to be looking to have a, a real tough time of it. Now, for you as a centre back and a bloody good one at that, what's your assessment of the defensive issues at the moment? Because you know, for for as many that we do score, we always look like we can concede at the minute. But I can guarantee any Everton game at the moment would never never finish nil nil. Um, I can guarantee that for a certain never be a nil nil draw at the moment where we're playing. And we're, I just think with with the way we're playing, and I looked at the game Sunday, and I looked at the the, the goal they scored. And if you're playing three centre backs, and you saw Michael Keane was getting pulled out, 
Vieri Mini just stayed centre centre of the goal and didn't move over quick enough. And then he does this silly knee down on the floor instead of getting his body in. Yeri Mina is still for me one I'm not wholly convinced of yet. Um, we signed him on the back of a great World Cup, and how many clubs just sign players on the back of a great World Cup? I haven't haven't really worked for him. He's got the height, he, he's comfortable on the ball, but I just think his decision making at times is a little bit uneasy. But saying that, you can say the same about Michael Keane. Michael plays, and you know when. When Mason came back after his, his injury, he didn't look as comfortable as he, he has done in the previous games. And I just think, I always say this to people, when I played at Everton, we had a, con- a consistent back line. We never changed the back line. The best teams who won trophies over years, and I, you look back to Arsenal, the Invincibles, Man United, even Liverpool last couple of years, they very, very change the back four unless injury makes it that way. Because you get an understanding, you know where players are going to go, you know where players will be, you you have a sense where they are when you, you go for a challenge or a header and the communication's good. But I just think with chopping and changing, the first time I played three at the back with Everton, we, we weren't very good. I, I think I played Dave Watson and, and Rats played. It, it, it was a bit all over the show because it, it's a different way of playing instead of having two players covering the space you've now got three and yeah. you, you tend to find players getting each other's way they're not sure where they should be what they should be doing but talking communication you know it does help but that's one thing I don't see enough of is there enough communication about man on right shoulder you, you see people say man on and they, they look right and it's gone left and they look left it's gone right it just takes it so right shoulder Matt's right shoulder you look right shoulder you've got your player Players are to be focused at the ball. They don't look over the shoulder often enough. And I just think communication levels lack. But defensively, are we relying too much on the on the, the holding midfield players we have as well? Because I thought at times there was a lot of space between them and our back four on or back three um, on on Sunday. And the players were just dropped. So if 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 I'm marking you, match and you drop off behind Alan, do I? Shout him to pick him up, or do I go? If there's three there, I can go with him, or the two can talk in a little bit. It, it's all about it's a new formation, and it might be the formation Carlo wants to play long term. I don't know, but at times we look a little bit suspect when we're playing this three at the back, and and then second half when they just push their their wingers on a bit off our two fullbacks or wingbacks indeed, and where we just couldn't get forward. And that's when I say it's important we do get the ball. We put the ball in better positions. We don't try and find the forwards' feet all the time. And um, but long term, I still favour four at the back, a flat back four. Whether that includes Jerry Mina, who, I, as you say, I'm still very unsure about him at times. And always, there's always a mistake or two in him every game. But is then Godfrey and Mike and Keane the answer? Is it Godfrey and Holgate? Is it Holgate and Keane? Uh, it's one of them. That's for the manager to decide. But. We've got to stop conceding goals. We do concede far too many goals too easily. And that's why I said, the moment, there's a guarantee it will never, never be a nil-nil draw for Everton this season because we're liable to score and we're also liable to concede. But he's got to get the back line right for me. And I'm sure that's in his uh, in his remit now and what he's looking at because we, 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 we've got to stop conceding the goals we do. It's too easy sometimes to get through our back line. I can't put a frame on how we're going to stop it. But... We worked on it in training with Colin Harvey and Howard. We worked on shape. We worked on playing people in front of us. We worked on calling players across. 
informing people and maybe we need to a bit more of this in, in, in everyday trading instead of mm. just playing keep ball and five sides maybe work on our shape a bit more and get players aware of where players are around them yeah as you kind of elucidated to and put it down to there it, it does seem like a, a sort of modern day shift in the coaching almost uh, in what exactly is important off the ball um and I think a great example of that, and credit where credit is due, in our good spells on the weekend, the the wing backs were very influential. Um, Luca Dean, as we all know, you know, sensational left back, one of if not the best left back in the league, and someone I, I've been I've been very critical of Alex Iwobi since he signed for the club because he's not exactly lived up to the billing, but his, his influence for the core header, uh, his venturing forward, uh, I thought he was excellent, but. As you say, you don't quite know where the answer lies. Whether it's a, I, I agree with you in that. I do think we're going to go back to a four-three-three, uh, a back four. I feel like that's just a lot easier for the for the communication. Um, yeah. Especially, with, I was going to say with Pick, Pickford as well. If you, if you think it, Pickford's someone who's been scrutinised for his lack of ability, yeah. communication, and whatnot. If it's a, a back four in front of him. Something. I mean, I'm not making the judgment here, but I, but I assume the sort of FA coaching system you're used to having a back four in front of you, probably a, yeah. a lot easier for, for Pickford to understand as well. It's one of them. It's it's, it's hard to say, but when, when when you're playing well, you're on form. Nothing faces you. you. You're always positive, but when you're just not quite there, which we haven't been for three or four games, you're always a bit tentative. But but if it won't be keep as he did defensively. I'm not convinced yet. It'll take a bit of time to get him to be a fullback. But going forward, he's 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 got pace. He's got power. As you said, I'm not convinced. I thought it was. I thought he'd be a decent signing for us. But he's actually he's not lived up to what we thought he was going to do. But we saw it on Sunday when he gets the ball and he runs at people. They're on the back foot and he can go past with pace and and finish with good quality passes. But long term, you know, is it going to be three? Is it going to be four? Has Carl ever played with a regular fat back a uh, back three or has always used a back four? But football has changed. Football is influenced now by different coaching styles, different coaching methods, different coaching terminology. As Reedy Reedy says very well, um, he calls it all bollocks, doesn't he? As you know that. Uh-huh. It, it's 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 when you say that they're trying to break through the lines or get the ball in the channels and, and turn people. For me, it's just as good as breaking through the lines. Um, we've got to recycle the ball, win the ball back, press people. Colin Arbour was influential in, in Everton becoming the team aware by making us press from the front, which gave the back four chance to push off. You don't press high up, you end up going deeper. And that's what we've noticed with Everton over the last couple of weeks. When we're not pressing well enough, we are deeper and deeper. And the deeper you get, the less space between the goalkeeper and the back four and the more chance we're going to concede. So if we keep pressing from the front and keep pressing up, Excuse me. I think we're going to have a far better chance, but I just hope that we we can find a, a steady regular formation. I think four three three is probably the way to go. Um, I think the Charleston with uh, Dominic up front, and then allowing Rodriguez or James to just roam a little bit because you look at Messi and Messi plays. He's never up front. He's never wide right. He's never wide left. He's he sometimes drops deeper. But what I don't want to see is Dominic coming as deep as he does at times, looking for the ball. I'd like to see him staying on the on the on the shoulder, of the centre half, and and turning a bit more. So there was one incident I said before about Awobi. I think he's got the ball on the right hand side late or 
midway through the second half, and I'm saying, put it down the channel. And he tries to clip the ball to Dominic's chest, and we lose the ball, and we're back under pressure straight away. That's the decision-making. We've got to be better. And, and I think that's what Ancelotti's got to make the players aware. The final pass, you can keep the ball all day long if you, if you can, but it's the final ball, it's that telling final ball that makes the difference, whether it's a pass into the box for the goal chance or a pass out the back four to relieve the pressure and they let you get a bit of a respite. That final decision is good enough for us at the moment for me. Yeah, definitely. Decision-making, isn't it? I think that's, that's key. It's, it's, any, any top side, it's having that final killer pass or the, the right decision-making at the end of it all. It's, a, a, it's the confidence to make it. The decision, right? But you've all got the players looking for those balls. You look at, I keep mentioning Liverpool again, they don't always put the ball to feet. They put it into an area and the players have, and as soon as that player sets off, you then got one, two, three, four in support. The back four gets up. Now we're trying to play the ball to Dominic's chest or to his head. No, I'd like to see it just lifted over the fullback's head and Dominic turn and run. Then we all, and that's the difference. It's the decision making, the confidence to do it, and having players. Expecting the ball, the, the, the best, the best cross of the ball in the world. Put the ball in the box, expecting the centre forward to be there. And if they're not, they then have a bollock into the centre forward. But if the centre forward makes the run, and the winger doesn't put it in. The winger should expect the bollock in, and that's what I don't see enough of. I want the ball in there. I'm like you're fucking, but and I want to see a bit more. You know, yeah. I want it there, yeah, because that, that's where we're going so wrong. That our final decision making is not quite right at the moment. Mm. Uh, as soon as we rectify that, I feel like we we will be onto something now. To just round up on our current form, and then I wouldn't mind asking a, a few questions about your own career, if you wouldn't mind. Now, by the way, mate, in <laughs> I know you talked. Uh, uh, one of the first things that you brought up is that our away form uh, and the mentality of Everton is something that often you know is a, is questioned heavily. Um, but with that win on the weekend. That's the first time Everton have recorded three consecutive wins in London since April '97, '87. Uh, sorry, so I think that was what Spurs, Palace, and Fulham. Which, as, as long as I've been alive, Fulham's always been a, you know, bit of a hard place to go. So uh, I feel like that could do wonders for us. Now, it's obviously still early days. Um, aside from the, those three losses, there's been a lot of positives to take from the opening games of this season. What do you feel like this team can achieve? Oh, thanks, Max. Um, for me, for me, I'd like to see more than the consistency. You know, a level of performance where you can see it. You know, it took when I played in the eight, it took us a while to get that, but we then had a level of consistency, a level of performance that we very rarely dropped. Um, and I don't see that. I just want it's that consistency, that week in, week out, home and away, you have a good level of performance. You don't peak at eight one week and then three, four or five the week after. It's that level of performance. We, ha- I think we've got the players who can move us on. I think the signings in the summer of, you know, Alan was Decore. They've given us a different dimension, that midfield area. You know, we know what James can do. He's, 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 he can be the best player on the pitch or... Or as on Sunday, probably the worst player on the pitch. Um, but it's that consistency. I think if we get the back four settled, um, even if it means leaving Pickford out and giving whoever you know a chance, I don't know. Manager would make that decision, but 
start with a consistent backline and build on it. And, and that's been the strength of most teams. You can you can change one player a week, but you can't change two or three and, and keep changing the formation. But I, I see a positive a positive future now. I think we we we've got an element of class in the side now. We haven't had for a while. Um, three or four players there are, are really really classy players now. We've got Dominic who who now must be so full of confidence. It's beyond belief. You know, mm-hmm. he's got his England call up. He's scored goals for his country now. He's he, he scored is it ten in nine games or something for in the yeah. first team in the top, top goal scorer in the league now. It's it, it, the confidence be flowing through him, but then you you turn it round and you look. It's Michael Keane full of confidence. It's Pickford full of confidence. It's, it's Mina full of confidence, and and there's a difference. And we've got players who are on the up, <coughs> and the players who are, are not quite at the game yet. So for me, we have a good opportunity now to to kick on and and hopefully cement at least a top eight place. If we're outside the top eight, I'll be disappointed. I'm not looking at top four. I'm not looking at the top three. I'm not looking at winning it. I'm looking at a consistent level of performance to get us into the top eight. So when you go to to Newcastle, you you don't go and lose at Newcastle. You put a bit more of a fight at Southampton. Um, they're the games we shouldn't be losing. Mm. But you, you can turn around. You, you look at teams. You look at Aston Villa, who actually wallop Liverpool seven two, but they haven't won at home since. You know, it's it's a strange game. Football, strange game, and I just hope over the coming months whether we get fans back into the ground. I'm not sure we'll at the moment. There might be up to four to five thousand fans every week at Goodison Park now. Will that help the players? Will it hinder the players? Have they enjoyed playing with no fans? I wouldn't. I'd rather play with fans because there's something about the the shouts you hear from the terraces, the, the screams, the singing, the songs. And I think some of the players are missing that. But let's just get to that consistent performance. Let's have seven and a half out of ten each week. Don't go to five like we have so often this season, away at Newcastle, away at Southampton, when we players have just not turned up. Let's get that consistent because there is a very good chance now that we can move on to bigger things and better things. And as I said for, for many years now, just get us to Wembley. Just get us to a cup final. Where. Just silverware. I don't even care if it's a three-handled league cup. I don't care which one it is. Just get us to Wembley. Get us, a, get us some silverware. Give us that belief as the fans. We, we can see that we can see we got the players who can possibly do it. <coughs> but now we've got to see the players do it because as fans, we've been far too long without any silverware. Far too long for them. That's a great message to to get across to this current group of players. I feel I've, I've still not seen us lift anything, and it, it bugs me. Well, I said before, day. Max, as a fan myself, I was only, I think it was six, six and a half, seven in 1970, 1970 when they won the league. League, yeah. I didn't go. I didn't go to Wembley in '77 because I had a, a, a cup final. Uh, or for the schools, and all of a sudden, I'm in the team that wins the first trophy, and you know. And then in 95, I was doing FA coaching bands just after the operation. So I didn't go to 95 either. So as a fan myself, I've not seen Evan lift a trophy. Although I'm classed as being part of the greatest ever team ever. As a fan, I've not seen Evan lift a trophy. So you think you're struggling. I think I feel it in the 60s. <laughs> hey, at least you were there for the 80s. Now, we'll get on to that. But I have 
my own independent podcast where I love giving people the platform to tell their stories, you know, career, personal or, or otherwise. Um, and I remember meeting you not too about this time last year, uh, maybe a bit earlier in the month for the premiere of, of the film, Everton Howard. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I remember you saying to me was, you know, you were born in Tubrook, brought up on the Whittle, and you had a, a season ticket in the street end till the 81 season when yeah. you were breaking through a tramia. Um, I feel like in this part of the world, you're encapsulated in, in a bubble of football, aren't you? Um, so oh, yeah. Was a career in football all you'd envisioned as a kid? Uh, no. No? I didn't know. When I, when I went to my final year in school in 78, 79, I was playing a lot of rugby, rugby union. Um, I walked in and I said to the head the teacher, that I'm, I'm not playing rugby, sir, to which he blew his top because I still love watching the game, but I just didn't want to play anymore. I was... In the, I, I was told me I was in the Cheshire County squad. I was having England school board trials and I, I just stopped playing rugby. But I wasn't attached to any football club um, until January 79 when I was six, 10, 16. I, I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, I loved sports. It was cricket, it was football, it was basketball, it was rugby. You give me a thing and I, I'd have a go at it. I loved the sport. Education-wise, I was useless. Um, I lived for the bell. Um, so the bell went, I ran out of the football and played in the yard or played cricket in the field or did something. I, education me went, went compatible at the time. Um, and if I hadn't joined Tramway in 79, January and signed Apprentice in the July, August, I don't know what I'd have done. I really haven't a clue. I'd have probably have to go and reset all my GCSEs and CSEs as they were in those days uh, to get some qualifications to go and do something because... I hadn't a clue what I was doing. Um, luckily, football gave me that platform. I, I didn't see myself as a as a great player. I played with other players in my junior side, Putin Vicks. Uh, sorry, Putin Athletics, sorry, who uh, we had one at the Everton, one at Sheffield Wednesday, and, and they both never made it in the game after being there from the age of 13, 14. So maybe I got lucky. Maybe giving me the opportunity was, was great. But I, I never saw myself playing football long-term. Um, but since 79, it's been a massive part of my life and I looked every minute of it. Um, I don't enjoy football as much as I used to because I want to see proper tackles and dirty, muddy pitches and, you know, players drinking pints of lager and smoking rather than having energy drinks and Lucozade, that sort of stuff. But it's a different game now. You've got to understand that. Um, yeah. But for me, football was wonderful. Um, I remember playing me Friday night, I'd be in at 8 o'clock in the morning preparing all the changing rooms for the reserves who'd train at half past 10 and then we'd finish training after clear all the changing rooms and put all the kits out for the first team. We'd come in at 4 o'clock for pre-match meals and then I'd be running around making cups of tea, pots of tea, you know, getting balls pumped up for the match and the, the game would finish it. You know, half past seven kickoff finished by half past nine, quarter ten, and then I'd have to get all the changings tidied up because first thing Monday morning I had to get it all to the laundrette. So my weekend used to finish Friday used to finish at like half past ten, eleven o'clock most Fridays, and then I was playing for the A team Saturday morning at ten o'clock, ten thirty, and then by one o'clock I was on the ferry over to Goodison Park. So um, my football was dominated. Merseyside said it's a hotbed, and, and my life from probably 12 or 13 was dominated by 
primarily football, but also other sports. Um, but Friday afternoons, I used to love the Fridays with family, playing Friday night, then playing Saturday morning, and then meet me mates at the pier head, uh, seeking ferry and get the ferry over and the bus up and, and go and watch, watch Everton and, and then come back. And it's the way it was in those days. It's a bit different now, but you can actually go and have a pint now without any issues, which was good. Mm. Uh, but in those days, at the age of 13, 14, 12, 13, it wasn't hard. It was very hard to find somewhere to someone to give you a pint. Um, I would have loved it at the time, but I never got one until I was a bit older. But those <laughs> memories of Goodison Park in the in the mid seventies, late seventies was was brilliant. I was there when Andy King scored against Liverpool to make it one 0 and then I was there when Latch got his thirtieth goal, and I was there for other games. I remember, and you just look back and think we were so close in those in those times. And that's all. As you know, I know Bob Latch very well now. He's a very good personal friend of mine. And, and he maintains if we'd have signed Peter Shilton, we might well have won the league. He thinks that Shilton was the one one that we never got. I know there was rumours that he says there was rumours we were getting him, and he's told Shilts has told him he would he was on his way, but he went to Forest instead. And it just shows how close teams can be. Um, but those days watching Everton, I used to love standing on the street, getting there at like one o'clock in the afternoon, standing at the side of the Bullens Road to get into the corner. The same spec every week, singing and chanting songs and, and watching players who I, I used to love watching, never thinking that I'd do what I did five years later. Um, and those players are now classes as a lot of those are personal friends, which I still find quite surreal. Although I'm an Everton, former Everton player, to, to talk to the Dobsons and the McKenzies and the, the Latchfords and the, the Ken McNaughts, it's, it's great because they've got as many hit stories as I have. And I love love debating football with them not because we've all got our own opinions and we, we all know how it should be played. It's just we don't play like we should do. But for me, it was it was a dream. I never thought I'd, I'd join Everton. I was happy at Tramir. Uh, I'd broken into the first team. I'd done OK. But when that phone call came or, or the shout from Brian Hamilton that I'm going to sell you, much of my disappointment and he said it was Everton I, I couldn't get the phone to be here quick enough to speak to our Kendall and as I say the rest is now history isn't it Of I love that I really do love that and something that I wanted to say right is that I, I absolutely love getting the chance to speak with or interviewing defenders um, I spoke to Michael Ball last week I, I spoke to Rats a couple of times and my my granddad, I was really, really close with my granddad. My granddad played for Everton in the 50s. He was in the B team and the reserves in the 50s. He was a centre-half. He played yeah. with the likes of uh, you know, Dave Vixen, Tony McNamara. Um, and he, like you, he was num- he loved num- he loved the number five. Um, always taught me, he brought me up to believe lucky, uh, lucky number five. I've got number five tattoos on me as well for good luck. Um, <laughs> and he... Sort of, you know, we'd sit, and you know, before podcasts were a thing, we'd have like, you know, hour-long discussions about football, you know, discussing players, managers' sides, and he always brought me up to sort of analyse uh, uh, and sort of pay attention to defenders' games. Um, and I was wondering, obviously, I remember something else that you said that you were a striker when you were a young teen yeah. as well. Um, were there any players... Um, I know you said you know the players now that are close personal friends, but people that you looked up to uh, and considered role models, uh, not necessarily even in football, but sports in general. Well, for, for me, I, I was a striker till I was 
nearly 14, I think it was. Um, so my high brother was, was Everton fan was Bob Latford because he was a goal scorer and I used to watch him, but I never used to watch the Mick Lyons and Ken McNaught because I was a centre forward, I'm not going to watch him, but I always say to people, if you, wherever you play, take chance, go to a game of football and don't watch the game, watch the player in your position, see how they move, how they talk, what the arm sequence are, how they react to things, because you learn a lot by watching players individually, but Role model for me, it's got to be your parents. And my, I had a very close relationship with my granddad as well. He was a, being the first World War mounted policeman. He was on duty in Dixie Dean, got his 60th goal. So he talked about everything in the, in the 30s. He handed me a, a 1932 Liverpool Echo, which is somewhere in my collection somewhere. Um, so my granddad was was close and he'd come to games and he'd... he'd, he'd He'd whack me with his walking stick if I made a mistake. He was one of those people that you just... He, he was absolutely magnificent. My dad was the same. Unfortunately, my dad had a few health issues, so he, he couldn't come out very often into the cold weather because he really struggled in the cold weather. But for me, as, as, as a sports person, my, my ultimate sports idol was Muhammad Ali because I just thought he was just an outstanding athlete, so full of confidence, so full of bravado. But put it into play when he, we got into the ring. And I've always had a, a soft spot for Ali, but, you know, I, I just think what he went through growing up and the military, et cetera, I just think he made a, a massive, massive point about, you know, what he was and who he was. And I love watching the programmes with him, talking to people, and he's, he's full of laughs and jokes. And But when he came to do the job, he did the job to the best of his ability every time. But... As a footballer, for me, it was it was Bob Latter because he, I was a striker and, as I said before, he, he was my hero. But I learned a lot very quickly when I went to centre-half at the age of 14 and, and luckily by the age of 16, I'd done enough to warrant a, a chance. Maybe my touch wasn't good enough. I always, I always thought I was a two-touch player, but the second touch we'd have tackled didn't work all the time for me. Um, but uh, as a centre-half, if I look back, you look back to the likes of the Bobby Moores in the 60s and... You know, LeBeau was one for me, yeah, I was going to say LeBeau. Yeah, Brian LeBeau. My granddad always said to watch LeBeau. I never, I never met Brian until I'd, I'd finished playing football and again, like the likes of Gordon West, I became very close with him being part of the Four Players Foundation and, you know, he... My dad talked about Brian LeBeau, my granddad talked to Brian LeBeau, my granddad talked about David and so did my dad and the Ali Dunn's and Derek Temples. And I got to know these players long after my granddad had died and then just after my dad had died. And that's one of my, not a regret, but a disappointment that I never got the chance to introduce my dad to some of his heroes who, who I got to know well, the, the Alec Youngs, the, the Alan Balls, the Derek Temples, the Labbies, the Westies and... You know, because in those days when I played football, we never saw the former players at all. It was just, you did, you never saw them. Now with all mm. the foundations, you get to meet the players. And that's a big disappointment. I couldn't introduce my dad to, because Alec Young was my dad's hero. He loved, he, he actually loved Alec Young. I never got the chance to introduce him to. And that's one of the things you look back in. I lost my dad very young. He was only 60 something when he died and he hadn't been well for a few years. So... Uh, I was disappointed I couldn't really introduce your dad to his heroes, but you know I've, I've had the the times around those players and you know the things my dad talked about. I've mentioned to those players and they bring up the same things about it. So it's nice that I, I know them, but uh, I wish I could have introduced, introduced my dad to one or two of them. 
Yeah, uh, I can resonate entirely with that. My dad passed away late last month, quite suddenly, age of 57. Um, and he, I think he was like a year younger than you. Um, and he grew up, you know, talking about the likes of yourselves, the squad in, in the 80s and, um, you know, the 70s and that. Uh, he bloody loved Andre Konchelskis as well. I never got to see Andre Konchelskis play, but I would have loved to have seen Andre Konchelskis because he said, you know... Oh, he, he'll kill my, he killed my career, Andre. There's a story about that. I'll do that, do that another story, but I've got a story about me and Andre. Oh, I'll, I'll get around to that in a minute. Oh, you want to know it, don't you? Okay. Um, Go on. Well, I... I... When my last year at Villa, 91, 92, Ron Axton came in and I was in the current process of discussing a new contract with the club and eventually he took it away. But I started the first two games of the season. We, we won away at Sheffield Wednesday and then we we got beat 1-0 at home by Man United uh, midweek. Um, I wore the number two shirt and I told Andre that I went to a dinner with him a few years ago and... Uh, I told Darren Griffiths the story. He said, I'm going to use that. I'm going to get you up. I said, OK, mate, no problems. So Darren goes, well, Derek, um, Andre, good player. What's your thoughts on him? I went, I fucking hate him. <laughs> and Andre went, oh, Derek, Derek, I'm so sorry. I said, I went through the story about I played at Villa. I won the number two. I didn't play. Paul McGraw played right, but I said, but you ripped me apart, you bastard. I never played in the top five after that. I'll never forgive you for that. He went, Derek, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But I only ever played once against Andre when he was at United in 91, 92. And he was, he was magnificent that day. He, he's got power. He had pace. He had directness. And when he came to Everton, although he wasn't there for long, he, I've never known a player get so much adulation by a group of fans as quickly as he did. Um, he gave the fans something and... You know, he's a wonderful fella. I had such a laugh with him. I really did. But he, he can't, he can't, every time he sees me apologising now for finishing my top flight career. I never played that top flight after that. So I always blame Andre for that one. <laughs> Funny though. Now, you're saying about there, you know, the the 70s uh, and whatnot. Like, me, me dad obviously told me so many stories of, of travelling around Europe and that, watching us in the 70s and 80s. But... You know, we weren't without our trials and tribulations in the 70s in particular, even, you know, the, the early 80s. The, you can look back, say, you know, the, the, the League Cup uh, in 77 against Villa or something that I remember you talking about, the, the Milk Cup against Liverpool, where we just fell short in the replay. Um, can you show, can you share any stories of just from your own experiences of seeing that change within the club to turning us into winners? Well, I joined in 82. Howard had been there this season and he'd signed his Magnificent Seven the year before, which turned out to be that Magnificent One with Big Nev. Um, no one else really, apart from Jim Arnold, set the world alight when they came in. And I think he went through a bit of a, a re-evaluation of, of, of who he needed and what he needed. And obviously he saw something in, in Sheet, Alan Harper, myself, um, and then... I spent the first year working with Colin Harvey and Colin was just superb. Um, and I'd seen, you know, the struggles we had, the Glenn Keeley game against Liverpool and other games where we, Billy Wright and, you know, Higgy, who's still a great friend of mine. And we, we, we struggled. And then 83, 84, when we started, I started the first three games of the season after Kevin got sent off. And then I was quickly back in the stands when Kevin was fit again. And, and we... we we just never got going. And, and I didn't get into the side until 
I think it was November time. Um, and I remember going, I think it might have been Arsenal away or Forest away, and, and he actually dropped John Bailey and played Kevin at left-back, um, played myself and Mark at centre-half. So like me and Ken, I had a right-foot and left-foot combination. Um, and then I remember we played on the Saturday somewhere. Oh, sorry, we played West Ham midweek down at West Ham. And it's only my fifth or sixth game in the first team in the, in the League Cup it was. And that's when I scored my first goal in the Royal Blue Shirt for Everton. Sorry, for West Ham. I know that I'm for many own goals. Um, and the following game, it was Old Trafford away, uh, Man United. And I turned up to the game expecting to be left out the side. Um, I remember having my coat with me and Bale was in the squad and Mark and Kevin, myself and Gary... And I expected to be to be left out. And when he when he Howard never named the team until five to two or quarter to two. He didn't name the team before the, the on the Friday. There was always a squad list up, but the team was never meant, never never picked. And he goes to the team and he and I sort of went, oh, he's dropped me. And then I went, no, 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 he's 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 named me there, and I'm, I'm playing. And we we won one nil at Old Trafford, and then we kept me place again and we beat West Ham in the replay on the Wednesday uh, and that was the last time Mark Higgins ever played for Everton again and, mm. and I always say about Mark I've got a lot of time for Mark he's a good friend of mine he he was a fantastic footballer he's a fantastic gent he's, a, he's still an ox now built like an ox and for Mark's mixed fortune it was my fortune and you don't get those opportunities in life very often so I wasn't going to turn it down and, and throw it away but even though I got on the side, up until that Christmas, we were absolute rubbish. I remember getting booed off the pitch against Coventry, going to, to Wolves and getting stuffed. And then I think it was Sunderland or Southampton, 0-0 again. And we, we, we were poor. We were poor. And the, the fans had all the, the placards and banners out and leaflets, sacked aboard, Kendall must go. And all credit to Sir Philip Carter, who said, no, no, he's the right man for me. And... I always, people talk about the Oxford game in this, but I remember going to Birmingham on 2nd of January 1984 uh, in that lovely silver kit we had, which we very rarely ever used. It was silver, silver, silver that day. And we, Kevin had gone in and done the team sheet. Referee had seen that, yeah, no problems. We go and warm up and we come back in. And literally 15 minutes before kickoff, there's a knock on the door. I think Mick Eaton opened it and referee goes, Mr. Kendall, I'm, I'm afraid you can't wear the, the silver kit tonight. It's going to clash under floodlights with the Birmingham City kit, to which someone chirps up in the background, no doubt Andy Gray. So is it skins for us tonight then, referee? And he went, no, it's not. And he brought in Birmingham City's away kit, which was yellow, blue, yellow, which I think is an Everton away kit. Yeah. We, we wear it, we call it now. We won 2-0, didn't lose for like 20-odd games. And I always look at that as a bit of a turning point. It, it, it was all of a sudden we, we got a win and we made we turned that win into another win. And then Oxford came to, went down to Oxford and they, they were they were flying. They, they'd knocked everybody out. Yeah, we rode a little a look a little bit and Inchi gets a great equaliser. And then all of a sudden we spank them. But I remember the week after the Birmingham game, we went to Stoke in the FA Cup. On the third, on the Saturday, um, there must have been seven, eight thousand blues in the, in the terraces there, and we were poor. We were like seventeenth on the table or something. And um, all we could hear was Everton songs being sung. And Howard literally opened the door, opened the window, and went, 
do it for them. Do it for them. The noise coming in was just magnificent. It's probably the simplest team to have had in his life. Just opened the window and said, listen to that. Do it for them today, boys. We won 2-0. Um, we, we got a bit of belief. And belief is very hard to find in football. Um, how we found it, I'm not sure. Maybe that window opening was the turning point. But we won at Birmingham, won at Stoke, then drew. And then we carried on. And then I always remember the Oxford replay in, in horrible snowy conditions. We beat them 4-1. And then there was a sudden belief all over the place about this team is going somewhere. We, we thought we could do something. And I think the biggest lift was actually getting to Wembley in the Milk Cup final. And then matching Liverpool stride to stride, toe for toe for, what, 120 minutes at Wembley. And maybe Potter should have won it if we got the right decision to go for us with the handball. And then narrow illusion, the replay. So, and then we came out there thinking, we're as good as these. And when you'd match someone as who, are, who have been or were the best team around, and we matched them. But again, we come in pre-season, we lose the first two games, and then we win at Anfield. Again, yeah, we can do this. But better, we're as good as these, if not better than these. And it's them little games that you remember that pick us up. I would never change... Never ever changes routines. You never believed in going to a cup final on the Wednesday and spending three nights in a hotel. You go down the day before the game. You don't change your routines. You don't, because as you know, if when you go like me and quarantine at the moment, you're sitting around doing nothing, you get tired. Mm. You know, so he said, No, we'll do what we do Thursday, do what you want to do with your families, but Friday morning, preparation starts for the big games on Saturday. And that was one of his strengths. He, he never screamed, he never shouted. I've seen him rant and rave. We had, a, we had our disagreements on more than one occasion. But he had something along with Colin Harvey and a group of players that I've not seen in a football club for a long time, especially Evan. Um, there was a mass belief that we were as good, if not better than everybody. If we went 1-0 down, we'll make it at least 1-1, maybe make it 2-1 or 3-1. We never believed we were beaten. Um, and, and that's one of the, the, the best things, you know, we had about that team. And again, you go to the Bayern Munich semi-final and I remember before the game, we, we couldn't get to Goodison Park. There must have been 100,000 people outside Goodison Park, what it felt like anyway. And then we get into the ground and we come out and at half-time, we're 1-0 down and there was a pin drop when they scored. The, the, the tap volume got turned right down. You could hear the pin drop at moments. It was, but we came on off and I was like, boys, you're fitter than them. You're stronger than them. You're better than them. You're now attacking the street end. Get the ball in the box and the street end will suck it in. Yeah, Gabby Stevens launches it. Andy Gray rearranges a couple of noses and we're, mm-hmm. all of a sudden we're 2-1 up. Uh, and the atmosphere is just beyond belief then. It's actually magnificent. And I always remember Trevor's third goal, the third goal going in, and the, the, I've never heard a roll like that third goal. Um, it was just incredible that Everton had got to a European final from being nowhere 18 months beforehand. Um, and as I said, it was a, for me as a blue, it was, I still pinch myself to believe actually what happened to me in those four years at Everton. Mm. Uh, but right, I'm, I'm so proud to, be, to have been part of that team. and. 
Uh, I still have all the bits and pieces, as you know, from the, the Howard's Way documentary when everything came out of the loft. It was very nicely placed in a box for me to find. But I've now moved from the house, so uh, I can't do any more um, loft tours, which have making me a fortune at one stage. Uh, but no, I, I just look back with incredibly fond memories of the team. I wish I'd soaked a bit more in uh, and been a bit more remembering things because things fly by too quickly. We didn't have mobile phones. We didn't have massive you know, cameras everywhere for taking pictures and dropping into your time. We, we've got, I've got very few photographs of me playing football and I've not seen much of myself playing football because there was only one camera that wasn't the big as it is now. But memories are great. You'll, you never take the memories away. And for me, the biggest thing is I still find it hard to understand the, the respect we get off the fans. Um, I'm always amazed by it, always humbled by it as well because it's, I'm an Evertonian, first and foremost, um, and I lived a lot of people's dreams by being able to put the raw blue shirt on. Uh, and then what I did for me was a complete not a bonus. Uh, as I said before, I still got my contract from 82 for when I signed for the club. It's in pristine condition. That was enough for Derek Malfield. I've signed for Everton. I didn't expect the next four or five years to be as good as it was. Um, rightly very proud of it and also very humbled by the respect of all, of, of all you fans. It's just amazing. Goosebumps hearing that, mate, especially you know, like the, 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 the that semi final against Bayern Munich. What I give to the in the streets end for that game, it just oh, it sounds absolutely just surreal. Like, I've, I've been in for me, my, my favorite Goodison memory is beating Liverpool in the FA Cup. I think it was around 2009. We got to the final that year, got beat by Chelsea, but. Like I think it was two minutes before penalties. You look at Liverpool's side, Torres, Gerard, Alonso. If it goes to penalties, we're getting beat. And some like 18, 19 year old kid curls one in and yeah. pushes us through to the next round. Like Evie missed it, went to a break. I know. I I, I was I, I'm so lucky that I was there. I you know what I mean? Because I've got the, the memories of just before that ball gets hit. And you, like you described Bayern Munich going in front, just silence before that ball hits the back of the net. But I mean, I can, I can only imagine what it what it means when something's actually on the line, like getting to a to a European Cup final. So it was it was an amazing amazing time, Max, to be part of that team. It, it really was, and we had a laugh getting back together last year. Um, and I'm sure we, there'll be more of a union span before we all start. Um, disappearing because we're not getting any younger at all. We've seen the, the, the amount of top-class former players that have gone over the last 12 to 15 months. You look at the Norman Hunters, the Trevor Cherries, the Ray Clemenses and people I knew and, and classed as friends. Um, we're getting no younger. Um, I want this to keep going as long as we can. I want the respect to be the... the I want to be humbled when I go to Goodison Park by the respect I get for the fans as long as I possibly can. Mm. And I just hope that before... We get one more opportunity as, as a 11 players, possibly to walk out onto Goodison Park together um, and, and salute the fans who have just been magnificent, even, even though we're in our 60s now. It would be nice if we all get together and, and uh, can actually go onto that pitch as a team mm. uh, and say our oh, thanks to the fans. It's, it's, I think it's one thing that we'd all appreciate, we'd all love to do. Um, and I just hope that one day we can all get together and do it on the pitch at Goodison Park for one last time. Yeah, long may it continue, and I do thoroughly hope that you 
get that opportunity. One of the things that I, I wanted to ask, maybe to, to finish off on Everton before one question on later on in your career, with Howard, you described that moment, you know, of that just sort of that transcendent moment of opening the window and saying, do it for them. Just that approach to man management that is so hard to find, that breeds confidence, which is a rarity within football. Obviously, Howard had been there and done it, done there, done it in the sixties uh, under the management of Harry Catrick, who Harry Catrick, I believe, uh, I've been told, who was a very stoic man, very sort of cold, very you know, very much believed, I am the manager, you are the players, and there was that sort of dissonance between the positions. Um, how would you describe Howard's approach to management? Well. If I go back to when I joined in 82, Tramley's pre-season was run, 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 run for the first 10 days. You never saw a ball. You just ran around the sandhills, around the parks, and you got your fitness. Then the ball came out 10 days later. Well, I'd done all my training pre-season around New Brighton, around the sandhills, around the dips and everything else. And all of a sudden, I come in. And first day back pre-season, Howard's got the balls out. And I'm going, what, what, balls? And we did... All our work pre-season with Bulls. The longest one I did with Howard is about 25 minutes. Everything was done with the Bulls shorts. He said, if you don't run for 100, for five minutes non-stop on a football pitch, you might do a longest, might be a 50-yard sprint. You might do a 10-yard. So all the work was done with little games involving the ball. And the, the longest one of that was probably about 40 yards. But it was all done with the ball. So you're getting fatigued while you're on the ball. So the ball's always close. You're looking after the ball. And I just found that so hard. He was he was ahead of his game when it came to that sort of stuff. And then the man managing side, when, with, with all the, the fines being collated and then every four months going off to a, a Chinese restaurant somewhere and, and spending the money on food and drink, you won't see that nowadays. You won't see the players all going together with the manager saying, right, I've fined you £10,000. I've fined you £10,000. We're going out for a Chinese meal. You know, I can't say it happened nowadays, but that was part and part. We, we'd sing and we'd chant, we'd have laughs and jokes, we'd have big Neville not touching beer, drinking chi- drinking tea and, tea and having a, a, you know, a chicken and chips, and we've got a big Chinese spread and bottles of wine and pints of lager. That was part of Howard's way of doing things. Um, he believed in that. And, you know, and also, I said before about not changing routines, not going away too early, not coming at the wrong times. And it, I just, I also will want to. I, I know Howard gets a lot of craze, but I know the Rats and myself and Gary who, and Richo who came through the ranks will always have Colin Harvey an immense amount of pride um, because and thanks because he was just wonderful. He, he worked on our weaknesses to make them strengths. He made our strengths stronger. And then when he played with the Viseres and we played a slightly different way to the first team, and, he, and Howard brought him in, that was, that was the final clip for me. I think Colin was instrumental in becoming, helping us get where we were because his coaching skill and knowledge was just second to none. Um, I've got so much time for Colin. Um, made me a better player and I'll always thank you for that. But I'll always thank Howard Kendall for, as I said before, for finding this scrawny kid and giving him a chance. But Howard's strength was just, he was Howard. He he liked to drink himself. You know, he wasn't afraid mm. to get the drinks out and flow it out. And there's always a good picture there when we're in the changing rooms after winning the league and he opens a bottle of champagne and I think he gives it to Kevin or something and he goes, no, you have, you have the drink first, Gaffer. Mm-hmm. And Howard takes the first drink out of the champagne bottle. That just shows the respect we have for the man. Um, 
And I said, he's, he's sadly missed. And I said, I had my ups and downs like we all did. But his record as Everton manager is, is, is absolutely phenomenal. But all long term, I'll always thank him for, for giving me the opportunity to do what I did. I never thought I'd do it, but I took the chance and loved every minute of it. Of course, of course. Definitely the best manager in our history and should be considered as one of the best British managers, in my estimation. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, obviously, you know, it still very much bewilders me that you only spent around, what, four or five years at the club? Like, it, it seems like you were around for a lot longer than what you actually were, considering the amount... I wish it was longer. I wish it was longer. Yeah, you know, the, the trophies that you won, you know, you must have thought that you'd have been there for a lot longer. And I know a fair share of people, you know, you're, you know, people bring up letting Andy Gray go and bringing Gary Lineker in and, and just the, the changeover of the squad that just didn't have the same sort of chemistry uh, on the pitch, you know. And one of the things that is mentioned to me and that certain people believe that caused an issue was fa- phasing you out and bringing Dave Watson in. Dave Watson is Dave Watson, you know, the last Everton captain to win a trophy. Uh, and I'm not discrediting him in any way, but that sort of changeover of bringing him in for you is something that I've been told didn't, Stand us in very good stead going forward. It, it's one of them, Max. I'd had an injury. I, I got injured at QPR um, early, late 85, which then facilitated in the operation to remove my cartilage. Mm. Um, and we tried to get, I'd had two little goes before, and we tried to get back a bit too quickly. Looking back, uh, I was rushed back to get back in the first team. and I then spent about three and a half, four months trying to get it right. It just didn't get right. And I got back into the team. Um, and then we managed to, unfortunately, lose away at Oxford. that was lost just the league. And we lost the cup final. Um, and I revealed this, well, a couple of years ago. Um, I had an epileptic fit in the summer of 86, um, just before pre-season training started. Um, I'd had one previously, 12 years before that. I'd had none since. Um, so you, you, you tell everyone else, you tell the manager, the physio and everything else, the doctors and Howard said, we'll keep this under wraps. And then within six weeks, he signed Dave Watson. So was the knee injury part of the issue? Was the fit part of the issue? I don't know. I've got no nothing, no problems with Dave Watson. He was an outstanding person, outstanding player for Everton Football Club. But I still felt I had more to give the club at the time. Um Dave came in and no matter how well I played when I got in the side when Dave was in the team for the first season when we won the league for the second time I was always straight back out the side when um, Dave was fit I mean we, we, we had three three at the back at Southampton Dave got injured me and Kevin played nine or ten games yeah, we lost one won six or something and then we had a full members cup game against Newcastle and, and Dave was fit after his injury. So Howard says to me, I'm, I'm going to play day tonight. You're playing on Saturday. And then Friday afternoon, he told me I wasn't playing. So which I just opened the door, walked out, slammed up behind me and didn't go to the game, didn't go in training. Uh, walked in Monday, Monday morning. We had a right ding-dong. Um, and that was it. I just then tried to do whatever I could to get back in the side. And whatever I did do, it was always Dave and Kevin that made up that. No, I've got no issues. That, that's the mm. way football goes. If yeah, the yeah. manager has a change, has a change of plan, you've got to understand that. But I gave my heart and soul for the next year to try and get back in the first team. And 
that Howard left and I thought there might be a chance with Howard, with Colin taking over. Um, and Colin stayed with Kevin and Dave. And again, I got back in, got back out. And then I got an injury in the reserve match at, at Leeds. And and then end of that season, when they were going away, um, Colin said, well, we're all going to Magaluf. I said, I don't want to go, Gaffer. Um, I don't feel part of the squad. Um, he said, I don't feel I've been part of the squad all season. I, I've been you know, on the outside. You took me away every game, every away game. Uh, I was either on the bench or I sat in the stands as an unused player. And I don't feel like I've, I've enjoyed my time. I, I'm just going to stay at home. And that summer then I, I went to Villa. Um, probably the, the hardest decision my life had to make was, was going to Villa. Had I stayed at Everton, could I dislodge Kevin or David? Uh, Dave, I don't know. But I went to Villa purely to play football again because I'd played so little football for the previous 18 months. I want, I needed to play football. Um, and that's the way life goes. You, you you always wonder why certain players stay at clubs and other players move on. Managers don't suit, things don't work out. And I've got no regrets. I had six years at Everton Football Club, which I had three years in the first team, one year learning the trade and 18, two years in and out of the team. I loved it. You know, I've got the, I've got the badge. I've got the T-shirt. Yeah. More importantly, I've got them. And the medals mean more to me than anyone will ever know. It, it just, it just proves that a local lad who has a little bit of nous can, can make it in the game. And, you know, those medals mean so much to me. It's, they're not just mine, that I say to you before, they're, they're yours as well, because you're the fan. And, and my medals have been handed to so many people over the years and they've seen them all because I don't like leaving the medals locked in a, in a vault. Um, they're always safely secured, but I love people being able to see them and hold them because there's not many around. And if you can hold the Cup Winners Cup medal and the FA Cup Winners medal and the League Champion medal and you love it, great. It's great for me because... I'm proud and honoured to have them, but they're not just mine. They're part of Everton's history, so they're part of you as well. Yeah, Everton legends, say nonetheless. Now, one of the things, and maybe a bit of a strange last question, but you moved on to to Wolves, right? Um, and later, um, Villa, sorry, and then later played for Wolves. I know Andy also played for Villa and Wolves as well. Is there? Like a considered a rivalry in that part of the world. I know you got West Brom in the mix as well, because um, you could never you could never picture someone going from Man City to Man United or Everton to Liverpool. What's the the climate like in that part of the world? Um, I'm gonna just put my phone on George and the no iPad on George. Uh, it's difficult to say. Villa Birmingham is pure hatred. Um, I also believe that Albion. I'm still there. Yep. Yeah, I think Albion and Wolves again is is pure hatred. Um, after spending ten years or twelve years in Birmingham playing for Villa Wolves and Walsall, oh, of course, um, yeah. I understand the rivalry there is intense. Um, I look back at the 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 Wolves and, and West Brom derbies and the Villa Birmingham derbies as Absolutely mad, you know. Villa Birmingham fans would wait for the Villa coach to come out and pelt you with all sorts, and the same at Villa Park. They wait for the Birmingham coach. It, it was a, it was a really strange, at sometimes nasty atmosphere. Um, but I always thought the derbies up here 
were, were different. Mm. Um, there were always friendly derbies. There was no friendliness about Villa Birmingham. Um, but Villa, uh, Wolves, West Brom, it, it, it really is. There's not many players that go from Wolves to West Brom or, or the other way around. Yeah, they might play for both teams over the years, but not many players go from one to the other. And I always find that quite strange. Um, if your face doesn't fit at one place and the other place want you, what's the issue? Well, you can't go straight to there. You can't, you can't, oh, no one's ever done that. And um, I talked to Steve Bull, I know Steve Bull and Andy Johnson very well. They're the one they went from um, West Brom to Wolves in the, in the 80s. And Steve Bull is an absolute legend at, at, at Wolves now. And um, he just, you know, it, it, at the time it was, you can't do that. Well, I'm, I'm going to do it. You know, you, you've got to be brave sometimes. But rivalries are what football's all about. Mm. Um, I'm going to watch Wolves, Everton, the day Ozzy scored his first goal for Everton back at RB, what, 2005, six? I can't yeah. remember now. Yeah, be around that time. I've hung up Wolves. Yeah, we've got some tickets. So I turned up and I went to the secretary and said, I've changed your tickets, Derek. They weren't very good ones. Take these ones instead. And I walk outside and it says, family enclosure. Right above the door says vision and fans will be ejected. Well, so they know I'm blue, they give me the ticket. I walk in, sit down with the with the wife, um, well the girlfriend at the time, and then Aussie scores and there must have been twenty Yeah <laughs> all the get these big eyeballs, what are you doing here? What you shit down? And it was it was quite strange. And the steward came to me and said, Derek, um, you shouldn't be standing up. I says, What's the problem? You never the fans said, well, your club's giving me the tickets. Oh, so at half time, we go down for the pint, and there's Leon's mum and dad, who'd also jumped up and got the looks. We have a quick pint, and we're going back to the seats, and we all get stopped. Well, I get stopped. You can't go in here. What do you mean? I've got a ticket. You're not allowed in here. You're the visiting fan. I said, well, your club's giving me the tickets, as with all these, oh, Leon's mum and dad. Come with us, all of you come with us. And we got hoarded down to the, and had to sit behind the, the walls dugout where we're in more danger because we're all together. But they're the sort of things that I laugh at because everyone knows, I, I, I tell Villa fans, I tell Wolves fans, I'm an Evertonian. I'm mm. not a Villa fan. I've got a bit of my heart. I'm not a Wolves fan, although a bit of my heart. I'm an Evertonian and everyone knows it. I make a point of saying it to people. Yet they still give me tickets where they shouldn't do. And we, I see Leon's mum and dad now, and we still laugh about that day when we all got moved at half-time because we shouldn't have been in where we were. And they're the sort of things that you don't see in football now. You know, The players' families now are all tucked away in their own little areas now. When we played, we had two season tickets in the same seat every week, and we got mm. two more tickets per game. And then we're all dotted up. But nowadays, the players are always either have their own boxes, have their own lounges, and that sort of stuff. But I just remember that day with a bit of fun. We had a good laugh, Liam's mum and I have a good laugh about that when we got shifted at Molyneux the day he scored his first goal for Everton. It's funny. It's funny stuff. Derek, I just want to say, mate, it's been absolutely wonderful to catch up with you. You know, the, the stories that you can tell and the, the, the juxtaposition of football then to now. I absolutely love hearing all about it. Um, and in the future, you're more than welcome to come on the podcast to talk about Everton, football, whatever you like, mate. You know, Max, I'm, you always get in touch. If I can help you out, I will do. I enjoyed our first conversation last year at Goodison before the Howard Way one. And you said to me, I'll be in touch. You said, no problems. You know, I'm, I'm still a football fan. I always will be an Evertonian, a very proud Evertonian, a very lucky Evertonian to do what I did. 
and I've also very humble by the way the fans treat us all and, and treat me especially when I go back. It's it's quite humbling when they they bow down in front of you and they you know they, they want to talk to you and have a picture. It's, I'm, I'm the best part of I'm not far off my 60th birthday in a couple of years time and and people still remember me and that's that's the beauty of the game. I, I'm the same with the Bob Latsfords and the, the Dobbos and the players I meet all the time. I, I, I chew their ear all the time about things they did in their time. And, you know, it's nice to remember to be uh, as, as I have for what I did for the club. But deep down, I'm still a blue and I was a very lucky blue to do what I did. It's been a pleasure, sir. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Up, the, up the toffees. Oh, too right. <laughs> Take care, Derek. Look after yourself, mate. Right, I'm going to look at a property now. I'm going to... Go out of quarantine for now. Look at a house. So uh, I will see you over the over the coming months. And uh, fingers crossed, we can get back to where we should be at top of the table for once. Awesome, mate. Definitely. Oh, bit, of, bit of silverware as well. Definitely. Well, mate. Of silverware, mate. All of us. All right. Cheers, Matt. See you later. All right. See you, mate. Ta-ra.